0: Welcome to Docs in Orbit, where we feature conversations with independent creative documentary filmmakers from around the world. This is Eileen Guckman from Switzerland, and I'm presenting you with the film Truth or Consequences.
1: I was there when it happened. I was there. I remember when they built the spaceport, and I remember when some of us boarded and watched the world we knew recede. And now, looking back, I often wonder, when did we actually leave,
0: and why do I keep coming back here? Truth or Consequences is a beautiful film, one of the most creative documentaries that I have watched lately. It's a lyrical piece about the passing of time and how the past, the present, and the future inhabit one place. The film takes place in an American town called Truth or Consequences, in the near future when space travel has begun. So here's my conversation with Hannah, the director of the film. Hannah, I really loved your film. After watching it, um, I talked about it with the producer of this podcast, Christina, and realized that we loved it for very different reasons and that the film is open to different interpretations and also that there are so many levels of meaning in it that the viewers can be drawn to different things according to their own interests. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you, because it's interesting for us to get to know your perspective and intentions as the director. So I'd like to start by asking you a very general question. What are the main ideas and emotions you wanted the viewers to take away from your film? That's a wonderful question.
1: Uh, uh, No one's ever started a conversation with me by asking about that. Oftentimes questions will be around... You know, how did you get to the town or how did you meet the people? And I think those are wonderful questions, but um, they're kind of outside the film versus your question, which is inside the film, which I really appreciate. So I have to think about the question a little bit. And I think part of it is because of what you're saying, which is that there there are a lot of ideas that the film is very intentionally moving around and moving through. But it's also very intentionally trying to be spacious so that people can have exactly the experience that you and Christina are talking about of um, the way I think about it is clicking in at different times or things resonating in different ways for different people. And I believe that structurally it's spacious enough that people can actually go into their worlds a little bit. It sort of opens up spaces for them to enter their own memories, create their own connections, and have potentially very different emotional experiences through the film. You know, I, I would say that that's one of the ideas that the film is exploring, is that approach, especially to documentary film. I, I have the experience of watching a lot of documentaries, uh, especially in the U.S., that are very guided and have very particular markers where the metric of the success of the film is whether or not you feel the things you're supposed to feel at the times when you're supposed to feel them. And then if you don't, the film isn't succeeding or it's not working. There's a lot of language around is it working or not. And I think I'm really interested in in the moments that we don't necessarily know or that I'm not necessarily totally in control so maybe that's sort of a meta theme <laughs> but that's definitely a a theme of the of the film. So and then more simply or or maybe more straightforward of an answer about the question of the ideas that are in the film a, a lot of them are rotating around progress or humankind's sort of eternal search for for a new horizon and i've been thinking a lot about this idea which is which is in no way new to this film but a pretty robust conversation especially in conversations around capitalism or which is this idea that uh there is a part of the human mind that is endlessly looking forward endlessly looking ahead uh looking to what, what might be uh and pursuing what what could be and how hard it makes it when you're looking in that way to look around or or to even just look directly in front of you. And for me, a lot of the people in the film are people who are rather masterful at looking in front of them. In the making of the film, I felt like they very much helped me to see what mattered or they helped me to see what was right in front rather than what could be. And so Sometimes I think that a f- that the film is trying to do the same. It's trying to shift a perspective onto really being able to s- see, uh, even if it's, um, you know, the the seemingly ordinary or the seemingly invaluable. And and what would it look like to see that in a new way?
0: That, that's one of the strengths of your film because you filmed a lot of mundane ordinary situations and conversations, but um, I have to say the, the way you filmed them made them extraordinary. You found beauty in some really simple things like the sky, the reflection of water, uh, your protagonist's daily lives. So yeah, um, I would say the things you captured were simple, but the way you filmed them brought them to another level. Thank you. Uh, That's what the place and the people taught me. You know, I think part
1: of the reason that the film opens with uh, Olin telling this poem about the ordinary, that this was what they were going to teach us, Um, and that they were kind of calling forth this evocation of of finding the extraordinary in the ordinary. I have faith
0: in fire, in a rock. Science a math, a pen, a pencil, a circle, a triangle, a square, and an A, in a knife. I have faith in silent nights and earth-shaking noise. And now I'm going to say to you, most people are most happy being as ordinary as ordinary can be. Of course, I read some reviews and your film is always described as a speculative documentary, which probably confuses some people because they assume that documentaries have to tell an objective truth. But this definition has been proven wrong for a long time, even more so the past few years when we have so many filmmakers making deeply subjective documentaries about the way they perceive or experience reality or or the way they imagine it like you. So what are your thoughts about this relation between documentary and reality? It's a, another really wonderful question.
1: It's funny. So I, do, I talk about this quite a lot. And um, I was thinking about something recently that I haven't been talking about much. Because there's so many ways to answer this question. And there's a lot of ways to answer it that are quite theoretical. But it's also deeply personal to me. And I think in a very simple way, I had the experience of watching documentaries And feeling like they were so far from the texture of my life or the texture of lives as I understood them and finding that really alienating. And I think I've only just begun to articulate why I had that experience and why it's important. One thing that always stood out to me was a lot of nonfiction narratives seem to be very based in exceptionalism. Like you can only show things that are really momentous like if you show a moment in someone's life, it has to be a moment when something radically changed. Or it has to be a moment when something very intense happened. Or, and, and then these moments are woven in this like very particular type of causality where that's now why they are how they are. Or that's now why this other thing happened. And I just thought, I just don't have that experience in my life. I, it's very hard for me to locate crystallized moments. There's, it, things seem very messy They're quite confusing and lives (laughs) are much more interesting and nuanced because of that. And I just felt so confused by why I kept seeing these narratives in documentary films that felt so distilled and so, uh, I guess, narrativized. And I didn't, I especially didn't understand why there weren't parts of people, like if I actually look at my life, right, I am, you know, we could have one conversation where I could tell you, the successes of my career, or I could tell you the moment when I had a traumatic experience and I could tell you, you know, I could tell you a story about why I became a filmmaker and I could make this wonderful mythology about it. But my life is also, you know, this morning I did the dishes. I, I, I cooked some strange cauliflower pancakes. I, you know, I, I went on a walk. I feel a a little bit of drift right now. You know, all of that is part of my life too, And I've just never quite understood why those moments are so devalued when they are actually the things that make up most of our lives and they are also the things that cause connection. Everybody has those moments in our life. But very few people have these momentous, exceptionalized moments that seem to be what we weave almost all of our documentaries around. And I think that I felt really unseen and I think I had the experience of realizing that so many people were also having that experience and what would it be like to be really seeing and valuing large parts of our lives that never never get deemed worthy of being put on film
0: Hmm. there's there's also the question of how to make a documentary about events that are real if they didn't happen yet But um, the future you're imagining is already here. For example, there are companies um, competing to lead the market of space tourism and outer space legislations are being made already. Um, Is this type of current event what inspired you to make this film?
1: Oh, uh, no, not at all. That stuff came way, way later the film started very simply by me doing an arts residency for six weeks in the town. And I had no idea what I was going to make at all. Uh, I had never been to the place. I didn't know anything about the place. I didn't know anything about the history. And I very specifically wasn't going there to find out. And um, the way that it started was that I just went out every day and filmed. And I had two intentions that I remember again, we always have to be careful about um, backwards stories because they always come across as. I think you can't help but mythologize. So the things I'm saying now sound might sound like I was so clear and intentional. And at the time, I didn't know what I was doing exactly. I had intentions. One of them was to just spend time with people, and I was specifically interested in the the way that we see something from the outside. So the way that we would see this town or the people from the outside versus what the texture of their lives were actually like. And so the very first idea was just to spend a day with somebody in the, one day with a different person in the town, whatever they were doing. But what that looked like in practice was just going out every day and just filming whatever happened to be happening. You know, so I would walk around and I would meet people and, uh, and when I wasn't doing that, I was calling people and I was just saying who's, you know, what's happening. And they're like, oh, well, there's the Fiddler's Dance this weekend. Oh, well, there's a, there's a wonderful person running a coffee shop. You should talk to them. Oh, have you met Olin? He's a wonderful artist in town. And very intuitively following that. And so the people in the film are all people who uh, I met in one way or another in a very intuitive, exploratory way and were people who were as excited to spend time with me as I was with them. And people who I just felt like I kept learning from. And I tried to keep my love of them and what I was learning from them front and center, rather than ever thinking about them as characters. I have a really strong uh, distaste for this term character, um, because I think it's quite dehumanizing, actually. I think it treats people like you're supposed to kind of excavate their arc. Very often when we're making documentary films, we're judging people based on story. And we're saying, we're, again, we're, we're deeming people worthy or not based on a certain set of criteria that we have decided is what makes a good documentary. And very often that's based around story. Do these people have interesting stories? Or are they exemplary of the story that I want to tell? And I was really, really trying to put myself in a different space than that and do this more kind of emergent approach. You know, I mean, for example, this could be a whole nother film where I interview them specifically around the spaceport. And I ask them continual questions about the spaceport and how the spaceport would affect them. Or this could be another film where I do a bunch of research around the spaceport and then understand that, uh, you know, there are some people that are going to be negatively affected and some people that are going to be positively affected. Then I go find people who match that criteria. This is a very common approach in documentaries, right? So I need to find somebody who is going to be negatively affected. I need to find somebody who is going to uh, benefit. And then I go out and find those people. And I just personally have found that working in that way means that I am um, mapping an idea that I have onto the world. And it often radically interferes for me with listening and with actually being present to what people are telling me and actually being present to really, really discovering what the conversation is in in the place and in the people I fear that too often we make, we make documentaries that are based in the conversation that we as outsiders or we as whatever think is important without really listening to what the people in the, in the place or what the people who are actually experiencing it um, are thinking about.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great lesson for us. Um, it actually goes against what some film teachers teach their students. Uh, But I I totally agree with you. Um, I think that you found the right balance still between keeping your own vision and what you wanted to express about this place and also giving space to reality and to your protagonists and let them be themselves. Another thing I found very interesting and that connects these people is that they all have collections of things like objects, rocks, um, even animals are rubbish. So is this a way to show that they are very attached to the past and to earthly things? And that's the reason why they can't project themselves in space or in the future.
1: I love that interpretation. I think that that's what it ended up being in the film. In its simplest, again, in its simplest form, this is just what they were doing. George is going into the dump to look for, for discarded artifacts very often, uh, Yvonne is surrounded by animals. Katie uh, loves her crystals. <laughs> you know, uh, Olin is working in the garden. like that. And those, bec- I think one of the things that I'm proud of in the film is that I feel like they become metaphors. And I think, you know, the, the crystals is extracted from the film. The crystals is such a, a clear example of this, right? Somebody who's literally going into a mine a mine that is a capitalist ruin a place where radical extractive action has happened both in terms of the earth and in terms of human labor and is finding these incredible creations of the earth you know and they look you know on the outside they look so mundane and then you find these glittering things inside again that little the, the parable of Of Katie finding crystals feels like a little parable for the film you know which is that what kind of meaning what kind of beauty are we not seeing within these capitalist ruins um and why are we always having the conversation based in progress why is the conversation always about the spaceport why is the conversation always around Elon Musk Why is the conversation always around these things and not around the people who are actually building lives? Because once a town goes ghost, then there's nobody left who knows that all this came and went. Then there's nobody left to transmit.
0: So... You didn't only direct this film, but you also took care of the cinematography and the editing. And in the credits, you also appear as a co-producer and a writer. I was so happy to see uh, that you could keep a creative control on your work. I have to say, um, in my own career as a filmmaker, as a female filmmaker, one of the things that I heard too many times is, you can't do this or that or let me do it for you, implying I'll do it better than you. Um, unfortunately, there are always people trying to make us doubt our abilities. I was wondering, would you have any piece of advice for women who deal with this? Yeah. I mentioned earlier
1: that this was the first time that I'd shot a film. I had, you know, I'd, I I love taking photos or taking videos, um, but I never thought that I could shoot. And I actually realized in retrospect that it was a lot of this the sense that someone else could do it, someone else could do it, but I couldn't the sense that I was not technical enough, which I think is something that a lot of women experience. I I teach quite a lot. And one thing I've learned through my teaching is, is that women often will say, uh, I'm not technical or, uh, or even like, I'm not, uh, I don't know. There's, there's something there. And so I very, very much felt that. And I was pretty, I was pretty terrified to, to do it. And I especially had the sense that unless I was somebody who was like constantly looking at blogs and looking at like new camera, you know, accessories, I just wouldn't be able to do this. And I think that what I learned throughout it, which I had to le- learn experientially, like I don't think someone could give me this advice, was that it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and also the way one uses the camera and the experience of it is, is just as important, if not more than the technical and nobody really talks about that. I also had the experience of making the film of having a lot of people tell me that I shouldn't edit it. Uh, I got a lot of advice and I have to be frank. I got a lot of advice from men that said that I was too close to the material and that I needed to be more objective and that I needed someone else to come in and kind of almost sort of save me from myself and I, I started thinking, is there something wrong with what I'm doing? Am I just really stubborn and impractical? Do I need to be like taking this advice? And then I start, you know, I started learning that, again, for me, this all comes back to what, how people understand documentaries. Many people are talking about documentaries closer to a form of journalism and very, very based in story. And so the goal is about clear communication. It's about clearly communicating information and character arcs in a controlled way so that people understand what you're trying to say. And that if there's any messiness or any kind of complication, uh, that's bad. That means it's not working. And so a lot of the feedback I got was like, I needed to take myself out of it. The only way I could tell a good story was to take myself out of it. And I just, I had to very slowly realize that, that that was not my intention. My intention for this film was around self-expression. It was around listening. It was around exploration. And those are very in different intentions than a product-related film that is measured by the specific metrics of story craft. And it, that, I also want to be clear that that realization was very hard fought it felt really uncomfortable i felt like people were telling me i was doing things wrong for a very long time during the making of the film luckily i have just some probably really obnoxious stubbornness that just kept me not being willing to take what they said just because they were saying it and just to kind of know that there was something in there that was really misaligned with what i was trying to do but it felt really hard and i would say one of the one of the things about this film was actually constantly navigating what I thought I should do versus what I felt was important to do and sort of battling that out. And I feel very, very grateful to my whole team, to to the producer, Sarah, to my collaborator, Alexander, to everybody on the film who stood for me and kept reminding me that I could explore in the way that I felt was really important for this film.
0: Yeah, actually, about the editing, um, it's one of the things that really amazed me the most in the film. Your visuals are very eclectic. You have scenes that are like traditional documentary, but then you blend them with some impressionistic visuals and you you even use virtual reality animation. But in the end, you did a great job harmonizing everything through the edit. There's this scene with uh, one of your protagonists where he gives a monologue about the passing of time and you used a very poetic um, associative editing style which really helps to connect different footage of different places and times. And in less than three minutes you tell us about the history of humanity on earth, about progress, science and about how we got here basically. So on a personal note this is the moment of the film where I first got struck by your talent <laughs> And I was just wondering, because you say it's your first feature film. So how was the editing process? And is this style of intuitive editing something that you explored in your short films before? So the way I think about Truth or
1: Consequences is that it was the first film that I ever risked discovering what I make. And it was the first time that I ever risked trusting my intuition, both in the shooting and in the editing. And I never used to edit this way. I, I I find, I found editing this way so complicated. Moving into a space where the analytical or judgmental part of your brain is quiet and where you actually can just be in a relationship with the footage and in a relationship with discovering, right? Because when you edit in this way, you don't know what you're doing. That's my experience. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I have a feeling um, and I'm uh, I, I don't know. I go to a space that I don't totally understand, um, and I have to credit quite a few people. I, I worked with uh, Mary Lampson, who is a consulting editor, and I remember I, I would I went to her house twice during the making of the film, and she she wasn't editing with me, but we would be talking about things and looking at the edit, and then I would go and edit. And I would get really overwhelmed and stuck and I would come down and I'd say, Mary, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do next. And she would go, that is great. (laughs) And I remember being like, no, that's the worst. It's the scariest, worst feeling. And she just celebrated it, you know. And I also had this experience of working with the musician Bill Frizzell on the film, who is an improviser. And so I was around somebody who is deeply trained in their craft so that they can just totally wild out. And I was so inspired by watching him work, watching him, you know, we, the way we did the sound, the way we did the score was that we projected very loose assemblages of from the footage. Like, I don't know, like all the shots of wind or all the shots of heat or all the shots of archival rocketry. And then he would just play. And I just thought, what would it be like to make films like that? where you're so rooted in the footage and you're so rooted in the craft that you then can play in a way that you don't understand. The process of this film was about committing to that, that whatever that was actually matters and is a way of working that's really worth following. And it might fail. It might um, be uncomfortable. Uh, I might not always be able to rationally justify
0: it. Uh, but it's, it's worth it. Um, I, I, I wasn't expecting this type of, um, answer. Uh, I think it's because I loved your film so much. And for me, everything works so perfectly in it. that I even imagined at some points, um, I w I was going to ask you if you storyboarded everything or if it helped you to be the cinematographer and the editor, for example, because I even wondered if you mentally edited your images together before going to shoot them. So, yeah, what what you say What was very surprising to me? I mean, I've become very
1: passionate about this kind of filmmaking. And I don't want to say that it is better or that it matters more. The way that I actually think about it <laughs> is um, I think about it in terms of power. And where the power lies and there's something about being so prepared or having an idea in my mind or working in this very story driven way or going out into the world to find the thing that I want to tell that to me, and this is not a blanket statement, but, but, or this is a blanket statement, which means that it's only partially true, (laughs) makes the power lie with me. And similarly, the the this so much feedback that you get during the making of a film about if it's working or not if it like that strikes me that a lot of the power lies with the audience or the perceived audience and i just don't feel like there's a very robust conversation about what it actually looks like to have the power lie with the footage and the fact that these people gave you their stories they gave you themselves they shared Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, I also had a art, you know, I have a very particular artistic thing I wanted to explore. So I'm not trying to say that I didn't do that. Um, but I just, there's something for me about the conventional ways that we talk about documentary that feels, feels comfortable about talking about the powers, though it lies with the filmmaker and the audience much more than with the, with the footage or the place one thing I've been starting to think about is this idea that making films in a non-conventional way actually might be very political and ethical in the sense that it actually might be exploring different placements of power, different relationships between uh, the filmmaker, the audience, and the people in the film, and might actually be a radically important conversation for us to be having in the mainstream, but seems to be coming harder and harder to have because Films that are less
0: conventional are finding less and less space mm. within the mainstream. It, is, um, it actually makes me wonder about the funding process because, like you say, it's an unconventional way to make films. So I was wondering, was it very difficult to get funding institutions on board? You
1: probably know this, but the U.S. has way less um, funding for arts, It has, we we rely much more on an equity model and a private investment model or a commission model. So we we rely much more on models that are product-based and that the metric of success is how much does it get shown? How much money does it make? These kinds of things. And we have some really wonderful organizations that are artist-based. The, the funding, I mean, I feel incredibly grateful for the funding that we got, and I think that I, I've had some people tell me that it's quite surprising some of the funding we got, given the exploratory nature of the film. But I think we had people who were really appreciative of the process and were willing to kind of take the risks. You know, we have this extraordinary executive producer, uh, Madeleine, who is just deeply supportive of this kind of film and particularly appreciates films that, um, are not fully in the known. Uh, so we're very lucky to be working with her. And then we had funding, uh, mostly from arts places. So, you know, New York council for the arts, Jerome foundation, uh, Sundance Institute, these kinds of places that made a very clear choice to support something that, was more experimental, and I hate that term, but that's the term that I would use.
0: I'm really happy that it worked out. That would have been a huge loss for us otherwise not to be able to watch this film. I have one last question. You say that you teach filmmaking, and I was wondering where. I teach mainly at community media centers and public access stations.
1: So I teach mainly for people who... I teach a lot around people who don't traditionally have access to filmmaking. um, And also a lot of classes that are free are very, very low cost. And part of that is uh, our real commitment to truth or consequences for me was this totally life-changing, profound experience that I had of being able to discover what I make. And I, I think that there's so much that gets in the way of people expressing themselves. And there's so much that gets in the way of people, people being able to be in charge of telling the stories that matter to them or that matter to their communities, whether that is, like, systemic. You know, I mean, there's huge amounts of systemic racism in the way that media gets created and disseminated in the U.S. Um, and then there's also a lot that's personal, you know, for example, what we were talking about with women thinking they're less technical. So there's just so many things that get in the way from the kind of diversity of storytelling, both in terms of content and form, that is what I understand the reason for documentary filmmaking, (laughs) to be a diversity of perspectives told in very surprising ways. And so I, I feel like the more that we can create spaces where people can discover that, (laughs) where they can be in kind of a safe learning environment where they can take risks, um, and especially outside of the really pretty stratified and often money-driven higher education in the United States. So that's a
0: lot of the work that I do. Uh, Yeah, it's it's not only in the U.S. uh, We have the same issue here. Thank you so much for this conversation. I I didn't see the time passing. It was so interesting. That's very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> can I also can I add one quick thing, which is that
1: um it's a pretty weird time to bring out a film right now. And I think that one of the things that I've understood from talking to independent filmmakers right now that's really missing is these kinds of conversations. Um, And it it has been quite, uh, I would say, especially for a film like Truth or Consequences, that is so much around the kind of individual experiences that people have. It's been hard not to be able to be with audiences or to be able to understand the way that it's living in different ways. So I want to say that I'm really grateful to you all for inviting me to this conversation and also for the willingness to step into the film and have your own experiences in it, um, and yeah, I would just that's a that kind of conversation, especially around works like this. Um, I feel like is really important right now, and I feel grateful to you all for
0: for making that happen. We are grateful to you for making this film. Thank you. Thanks
1: for listening, and tune in to our next episode where we discuss Victor Kosokovsky's latest work, Gunda. This episode of Docs in Orbit was produced by Pandarei Productions in Brooklyn, New York, and Azul in Switzerland, with music by Naim Akbub in Stockholm, and produced by Christina Zagriatis in New York. Excerpts are from the film Truth or Consequences, courtesy of the filmmaker. For more goodies, visit us online at docsinorbit.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for all the updates.